It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A little bit of a different sort of program today. We will do the regular program, but also, as you've been hearing about, we have a WTMJ Cares Radiothon going on for the last couple weeks. My friend and colleague, Gene Miller, has been helping spearhead this effort to finish fundraising for the Lance Sijon Memorial down at the airport. We're getting closer to that goal, and we want to get over the top this morning. Um, Gene is right down the hall from me. The Radiothon is starting. We have volunteers that are answering phones. The number to call, 414-967-5417. If you don't, if you if you just don't have a pen to write that number down, we have made it easy. If you just if if we're on your speed dial, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, if you just send us the word donate, we'll text you. Give. I'm sorry. Give. We decided give. Okay. Give. If you text us the word give, we will send you that number that you can call. We're going to make it as easy as possible. If you text us give, that's the word, we'll send you the number so you don't even have to bother writing it down. And we will, during the course of the morning, be checking in with Gene. He's got some special interviews and things like that as we try to get over the top. But I encourage you... Again, um, try to be generous here. I've always been amazed with the generosity of uh, of you when it come your generosity when it comes to things like this. And this is a very very worthwhile cause. And like I say, we're around twenty thousand dollars. We need another ten. Let's get it done early. Let Gene Miller go home. Let let him go home early. So um, donate generously, and we'll be checking in with him in just a couple minutes. Big things, three big things. We start off this program the way we start off every program. Things I think you need to know about. Big thing number one. Um, At the end of yesterday's program, we were talking about this story in New York, and it was just just breaking. Apparently, somebody drives up on the sidewalk in Times Square. Times Square in New York, of course, always packed with pedestrians and people going to and from workplaces as well as tourists. One person dead. 22 people injured. And whenever you hear a story like this, let's face it, the first thing you think about is, is this an act of terrorism? Is this something like what happened in Nice where the guy got in the truck and tried to plow people down? Is this like what happened in London where you had somebody outside of Parliament was driving across that bridge? It does not appear that this was a terrorist act. Rather, it was just a crazy Um, They've identified the person. He has been arrested, 26-year-old man, U.S. citizen, Navy veteran, uh, two prior arrests for drunk driving. Um, I I don't know what was going through the guy's mind. Maybe that will come out. But it does not appear that this is a terrorist activity. As bad as this was, and this is big thing number one that you need to understand, this could have been a lot worse. You would say, well, Jeff, how could this be worse? You had one person that's dead, 22 that are hurt. The reason that stopped where it did is because New York City had installed what they call these bollard barriers. And you might wonder, what what is a bollard barrier? They're little steel posts that you put in on on sidewalks. And a couple years ago, in an effort to prevent this very thing, terrorist activity and things like that, what they did is they put these little steel posts in in the sidewalks. And so what that means is you you, you can't drive block after block without hitting one. So what happens is this character goes up on the sidewalk, starts driving, hits a bunch of pedestrians, and then slams his car into these metal posts, which cause the car to flip over, and it, it stops it. Now... Again, it doesn't prevent this from happening, 
but it makes it it makes it at least not as bad as it was. And again, um, the steel barriers that they put in, um, more than 200 of them were installed last year in partnership with the city and Times Square officials, again, to reduce pedestrian injuries and to prevent exactly this type of thing. And it worked. Again, one person. One person injured, 22 people hurt, but it, but it ended up working. Big thing number one, steel barriers. They worked in New York City. I think we start needing to, I think, quite candidly, Milwaukee and other communities around the country need to start looking at these things and saying, okay, do we have some high pedestrian areas where we need to put these in? And my answer would be yes. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll check in with Gene Miller about the Radiothon. It's 840. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are right at the beginning of our WTMJ Cares Radiothon, raising money for the Lance John Memorial. Let's go to my friend and colleague, the voice of Wisconsin's Morning News, Gene Miller. Gene, good morning. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's uh, We're just down the hallway a little bit here at Radio City with the Radiothon set up. We've got Janine Sajon here. Janine, good morning. Good morning, Gene in Milwaukee. This is amazing stuff. I've done a lot of things in my radio career. I have never done a radiothon before, but uh, hopefully this will be what puts us over the top toward our thirty thousand dollar goal. That would be that would be simply wonderful. And this is both of our maiden voyages. We've I've never done this before either, so I'm uh, I'm working on my my um, radio presence as well as phone presence. Well, and it seems like you've had to uh, put that to use right out of the bat. These phones are really hopping. They really are, and it was just so wonderful. So um, so many wonderful individuals stories too that people are are telling us and what's connecting them actually to to this cause and so that's always so endearing for me i read them every day on the gofundme account and they're really touching when we raise up one we raise them all that's your uh, that's been your mantra throughout this whole process let's uh, repeat the phone number first off 414-967-5417 again that's 414-967-5417 operators are standing by gladly take any size donation as we try to complete the I guess the tab, the bill for uh, this beautiful memorial, uh, $30,000 is our goal. As of this morning, we're about two-thirds of the way there. You got a very nice check yesterday from the folks who were putting on Armed Forces Week in Milwaukee. I sure did, and uh, they were presenting the Saijon Award yesterday to four recipients who were just wonderful. World War II guys, one had fought on Porkchop Hill, and and uh, it's just such a, uh, it's such a privilege for me to be among such wonderful, courageous, brave soldiers. So that's, that's something, too, that Lance has given me as a gift. This has been a seven-year quest for you to get this memorial, nine years to be precise. Yeah, because after the 440th left and the fighter jet was there, it stayed there after they left and was just kind of orphaned, I guess, for want of a better term. It did. It was 2007 when the 440th left, and in 2008, I just felt it was um, uh, a bit lonely over there. There was no military presence, and it was being developed into a business park, but that was a long way off, so uh, I just uh, felt as though it needed a new place of higher visibility. Quite the place you found through a lot of hard work and cooperation from Milwaukee County right at the main entrance to Mitchell International is where people can see this. The the finishing work is being done as we speak, right? It is. And the thing I love about this uh, display in Memorial Garden is that um, you can engage. So in other words, you can come in, you can park your car, you can get out and walk the plazas, sit on some of the beautiful benches, appreciate the gardens that are being put in, and, and you know feel uh, inspired and feel connected to it. 
And you were saying, too, as you've been talking to people on the phone this morning, their connections to this era, to this war, that's what touched me about this story, aside from your brother's incredible sacrifice and valor. Also the fact that I grew up in this era. This, this was the war that we saw on TV each and every night. And so many people have stories from this era about loved ones, their own stories, men and women who served. Yeah, they sure do. Um, you know, again, we, we as a nation did not receive them the way they should have been received. And so any opportunity that we as a nation, me as an individual, con continue to do that um, is it, what's one of the things that I'm also looking for, raising the awareness to Lance's story, but all those who served in particularly the Vietnam War. And uh, he has certainly inspired so many people. We've been telling that story throughout the course of this month with WTMJ Cares. We'll have more next week about the involvement of uh, Burdick uh, School in Milwaukee and, and the principal and the kids there. So we'll be telling that part of the story as well. Again, if you would like to make a donation to our WTMJ Cares Radiothon, 414-967-5417. Help us finish off the uh, remaining bill on the Lance Sidejar Memorial dedicated a week from today. Hard to believe the countdown is here. So when we look back from 2008, this is quite remarkable for me to walk down this final path. It's just beautiful. We'll talk some more about next week's ceremony and uh, so much more as we continue our WTMJ Cares Radiothon. 414-967-5417. Operators are standing by. You hear those phones ringing. We still have room for you. Please call. Any contribution is deeply appreciated. Let's go back to Jeff Wagner down the hall in the studio on 620 WTMJ. Thank you very much, Gene. Um, it is 849. Again, the number 414-967-5417. We're also going to make this easy. If you're in your car, don't have a pen, paper to write down, what's that number? And you happen to have us in speed dial, if you just text us, 414-799-1620, our regular text line, um, we will, we'll, and write, give us the word give, G-I-V-E, we'll, we'll send you the number so you can make the call. And a uh, very, very worthwhile cause. And as Gene was talking about, I think any of us who grew up in that era has an appreciation of what we're talking about here. So um, help us out. The Radiothon continues when we come back. Big thing number two. Loose lips sink ships and potentially cost people jobs. 853, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yes, please be generous and we'll check in with Gene in just a little bit. Big thing number two. Loose lips sink ships and perhaps cost jobs. Uh, David Clark went on a local radio show station up the dial the other day and announced that he would be leaving his job as the Milwaukee County Sheriff and he would be taking a role um, in the Department of Homeland Security. This is controversial in a number of respects. First of all, people who get the jobs are not supposed to make the announcements. The, the, way, the way it works is announcements are made by the secretary of the agency for those type of appointments. It's either the White House, or in this case, it would be the person who runs Homeland Security, would make the announcement that we've hired somebody for this particular job. So Sheriff Clark jumped the gun by making this sort of announcement. I'm being told that it's caused a little bit of heartburn in Washington because he, he just wasn't supposed to do that. My understanding also, when I interviewed Governor Walker yesterday, is as of now, he has not submitted his letter of resignation to the governor. What happens is if a sheriff is going to resign, you send the letter of resignation to the governor, you say when you're going to resign, and that then starts the process 
by which the, the, gov- the, the governor is the one that will make the appointment, and they have a process that they use where they invite applicants and they screen them, whether it's a district attorney or a circuit court judge. That, that's the process they use, but that doesn't start till you get the letter of resignation. And as of the time I spoke to the governor yesterday, they had not received a letter of rec- resignation from Sheriff Clark. So Homeland Security hasn't confirmed this. There's been no letter of resignation. But one of the things that has happened in the time since Sheriff Clark made the announcement that he was going to be taking this job is there has been a firestorm of protest which has been generated uh, about Sheriff Clark. I'm looking at the Washington Post uh, today, and there there's an opinion piece. Milwaukee Sheriff Clark wants my old Homeland Security job. He is unfit. It's an op-ed piece written by somebody named Juliette Kayyem, a former assistant secretary at the Department of Homeland Security. Um, Here's what she writes. The controversial Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark is correct. If controversial Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark is correct, he's being tapped for a senior role at the Department of Homeland Security. Although the agency hasn't confirmed it yet, in an interview, Clark said he was honored and humbled to be appointed to the position, it's my old job. I've never met Clark, but based on his inflammatory rhetoric, along with the cloud hanging over his tenure in Milwaukee, I'll just come right out and say it. He's not to fit. He's not fit to serve at the agency tasked with domestic security for all Americans. And then the piece goes through in great detail a lot of the controversies that the sheriff has been involved in over the years. And it also talks a little bit about what happens and the nature of the job and how you have to really be a people person and you have to be a liaison with different states in dealing with this particular issue. And this woman, who had the job before, makes the argument that um, just based on, on Clark's background, she doesn't think he's fit. Um, when Moore is weighing in, same sort of thing, uh, less significant perhaps. You've got the Journal Sentinel editorial board. You know they're weighing in. Actually, they're weighing in. Actually, David Clark isn't a good fit to be sheriff or work in Homeland Security. So, so you get the idea. The long knives are out. This is a job, as I said before, which does not require Senate confirmation. So as long as President Trump is happy with this, as long as the head of Homeland Security is happy with it, what people outside the agency, what other politicians think, does not matter. But big story number two, and it is something to watch, whether by making this premature announcement that he is getting the job, the question becomes, has Sheriff Clark hurt himself? Because now what's happening is his various enemies, and Lord knows that there's a lot of them out there, are mobilizing, and they're intending to make this a huge issue. His qualifications, his controversial nature, things like that. Now, again, he doesn't need Senate confirmation. So President Trump can simply say, I don't care, I, I want him. But politicians spend political capital all the time. And at some point in time, when you're dealing with nominees and people you want to hire for jobs, if they are so very, very controversial that they become just not worth the battle, sometimes people end up backing off. I think Sheriff Clark made a huge, huge mistake in prematurely announcing this position. If nothing else, it gave his enemies a chance to mobilize. Do I think it's going to kill his chances to get the job? No. 
but it guarantees that he's going to start this new job under a cloud of controversy. That's big story number two. Big story number three, why bother with Click It or Ticket? That's coming up. It's 8.58. Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner. News Radio 620 WTMJ. So, Jane, during the break, while you were working, I walked down to where the Radiothon is going on. Yes. Every phone line, busy. That's wonderful. It, it is, all the operators were engaged. Everything is busy, um, which is tremendous. That's, and, that's fantastic. And so we will continue to check in. But if you are just tuning in, we are right in the middle of a WTMJ Cares Radiothon. Gene Miller is right down the hall. We've been talking about this. Uh, we're, our efforts to raise money to finish paying off the Lance Sijon Memorial. And you are responding just like I knew you would. So uh, the number, we have a number of operators. Like I said, every phone line was engaged when I went down there a couple minutes ago. 414-967-5417. Call, make the donation. Help us get over the top with this. If you're somewhere where you can't write that down, he was saying it too fast, that 967-5417. Well, if you happen to have our WTMJ talk and text line in your smartphone, um, our, our 799-1620 number, if you just text us the word give, we'll send you the number to call. So, um, again, appreciate your generosity. We will continue to keep you updated on developments. Gene Miller is down there with a lot of people answering phones, and we'll check in with him in about 10 minutes or so. Big thing number three for me, click it or ticket. In Wisconsin, the law says you have to wear a seatbelt. And we are what they call a primary enforcement state. That means you can get pulled over for not wearing your seatbelt. The numbers are just, you, you cannot argue with them. The numbers are that um, you are much more likely to survive an automobile accident and to be injured less severely if you're in an automobile accident if you are wearing a seatbelt. That's just the reality. We all maybe know somebody who has an anecdotal story. I know somebody who was dating somebody who had a cousin who was involved in an automobile accident, and if they had been wearing their seatbelt, they would have been dead. Okay, everybody says that. And and that might be one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand. But the truth is automobiles are a lot safer now, but they're safer now because you have seat belts, you have the airbags, they all kind of work together. Over this Memorial Day weekend, they estimate um, AAA projects that about 40 million Americans are going to be traveling. Nearly 700,000 will be right here in Wisconsin. Authorities are announcing a click-it-or-ticket operation where they will be more aggressive, targeted enforcement of the seatbelt law starting May 22nd and running through June 4th. I am in favor of all that. I am. I'm not a big government guy, but I believe seatbelts save lives. And as somebody who, when I first started driving when I was 16 years old, oh, why do you want to wear a seatbelt? It's kind of confining. Who needs it? Um, I just, I, I've, I've seen enough of what's happened with traffic and collisions and accidents and things like that to recognize that this is a, a minor thing to do, but that it saves lives. Okay, well, here's, here's the catch with all this. In Wisconsin, if you are cited for failing to wear a seatbelt, the penalty is 10 bucks. It's 10 bucks. On top of that, there's no points on your license. It's not like something with speeding. It's it's $10, and I would describe it as a traffic ticket, but it's not a traffic ticket. Traffic tickets have points associated with them. Your cost can go up. You know, your insurance will go up. This is a $10 ticket. 
I fully support the whole notion of the click it or ticket campaign, trying to get motorists to buckle up. My issue is this. I think a $10 ticket is grossly insufficient. If we're going to make this a law, I think you have to have penalties that at least give some people some incentive to do it. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we are going to have seatbelts as a priority, if we're going to say you need to wear them, Shouldn't we have tougher penalties to encourage people to do that? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 913. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're wrapping up our three big things for a Friday. Click it or ticket. If you are driving, well, starting uh, this weekend, running through the Memorial Day weekend, be aware Law enforcement will be targeting individuals to enforce Wisconsin's mandatory seatbelt law. Despite the fact that I think it makes it a lot safer, there are still a number of people who are out there who just make the decision that, well, I don't have the time to do it or it's too confining or whatever. The reality is you need to buckle up. It makes people safer. And people still decline to do that. Now, the problem in Wisconsin with me, to me, is not that you have a mandatory seatbelt law. It is something that I support. I'm not a big government guy, but I support it. The problem to me is that the law is toothless. No penalties attached to it other than a $10 fine. No points, no nothing. If we are going to decide that this is a significant enough issue that we need to make it a law that you have to wear your seatbelt, it seems to me that there needs to be something more than a $10 penalty. Now, in fairness, if you don't buckle up your children, there's a more there's a stiffer penalty. I think it ranges to up to like 375 bucks, which is certainly appropriate. But, you know, you're important as well. On our WTMJ Talk and Text Line, Ryan from Fond du Lac writes, um, at least for parents like myself, I have a son who is two years old in the car with me on a daily basis, and you can bet that I buckle him up to the fullest. I'm willing to bet most parents out there do that because they know that if they were in an accident and if their child wasn't buckled up, that their child most likely wouldn't survive the accident. But yet they themselves won't wear their seatbelt, and they can suffer the same fate. If they don't wear theirs, I believe, um, I think, if you think it's important enough to buckle your child up, then it should be important enough for people to do that. That's the significant thing. Now, I understand that there's some people who would make the argument, well, you know, we don't have a law for motorcycle helmets. Why should we have the seatbelt law? That is a completely different discussion, and I understand that you know people feel very strongly about that one way or the other. But some would argue that motorcycle helmets um, while they're unquestionably, I think, make things safer, they say, okay, it limits your ability here and all that type of stuff. Okay, that, that's a discussion for a different day. Bottom line of this is the law says you need to have seatbelts. Seatbelts save lives. And how many times have we had these stories about these kids, particularly kids, who have been injured or killed in automobile collisions where the car has gone off the road, people have been ejected from the car, and that's where it really happens. People get thrown out of the car, so what you do is you lose all the benefits of the safety measures that are, in fact, in the car. If all the new safety stuff they're going to have is going to work, you need to be buckled up. So bottom line is the law says you have to do it. Law enforcement is going to be out vigorously enforcing that if you are driving around over the next couple weeks. So be wary of that. 
But if people in the legislature are listening, all right, it's a good idea, I think, to have the law. But a $10 fine, I think, is absurd. It's 920. When we come back, we'll check in with Gene Miller, find out how the Radiothon is going. I have an idea. Stick around. It's 920. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Speaking of the real deal, our very own Gene Miller, right down the hall. We're right in the middle of our Lance Sijon Memorial Fundraising WTMJ Cares Project. How's it going, Gene? It is going great, but we can still use your help at 414-967-5417. That number again is 414-967-5417. Operators are standing by, ready to take your phone calls, your donations, as we try to complete the bill payment on the Lance Sijon Memorial that will be dedicated a week from today at Mitchell International. I'm joined by my best radio buds, Jane Matinair, Doug Russell. Doug, you've been working the phones. Jane, you're stopping by to say hi, and thank you so much for giving us some time. Well, this is so important, and certainly not just for the memory of Lance Saijan, but I think this is a recognition of all of our Vietnam veterans. They waited so long to to get the reception that they deserved after coming back. They were treated so badly after the end of the Vietnam War, and I just think that it is so critically important, again, not just for Lance Saijan and, and his family, but for all Vietnam veterans to know that we appreciate all of their sacrifice that they, that they did for all of us. As Lance's sister Janine says, when we raise up one, we raise them all, and that's certainly the Lance Saijan story because she doesn't want this just to be a memorial to him and his sacrifice, but also as an inspiration to all of us that you know, when times get hard, when you think you can't do something, if you put your mind to it, you can, Doug. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, and for me, the Vietnam War was more in a history book than anything else. I didn't grow up in that era. I came right after that. Um, but one thing that always struck me was how poorly our veterans that fought for us, our government asked them to go over there. Not everybody agreed with the war, but they all went out over there and served so honorably like Captain Saijan did. And to remember the sacrifice that he made, and the honor and the dignity that he served in. Um, yes, it raises up all of those that did that, but uh, the one thing about history is if we don't learn from the past, we're doomed to repeat it, uh, and we can't repeat the history of treating our veterans the way that we treated them as a society when they returned. Amen to that. We still have a chance to say thank you and also uh, raise this memorial up so people who weren't born during the Vietnam era who came after can find out about this conflict and the market left on us all. And Jane, we're about the same age. We remember those days. I, I remember I remember watching the war on the TV news at night. Um, I know that it left a mark on society. It left the way a mark on the media, the way we cover wars. Absolutely. It was the first time, I believe, that we had ever seen bodies coming back from the war. I remember like it was yesterday, my oldest brother, we were all sitting around the table, and he got a letter from uh, the Department of Defense, and he did not end up, uh, ended up with a, a low number, or a high number. The lottery. A lottery. Uh, did not end up having to go, but so many others did. And again, they, they sacrificed so much only to come back and be treated so poorly so if you can do ten dollars twelve dollars it really doesn't matter everything all adds up as we try and raise this thirty thousand dollars as the ultimate goal at last check we were just about where were we at rachel twenty thousand dollars so we got about ten more thousand to go plus we also had that very generous donation from the milwaukee armed forces uh, uh armed, armed services week i should say which is underway right now in milwaukee so we have that on the pile so we're getting very very close but don't let that uh, um be a deterrent to you calling in at 414-967-5417 
and we'll take whatever you have right now. We're getting close, but help us reach the top and then some. 414-967-5417. Of course, we want to thank our sponsors, the Flag Center, Dave Drakamp Heating and Cooling, and the Packing House, uh, all helping this WTMJ Cares project uh, move along and hopefully to a successful conclusion. Doug, you were on the phones? Yes. Who'd you talk to? I talked to a lot of folks. Uh, and, uh, the fo- and the one thing that was great was every time I put the receiver down, it rang again. So thank you for everyone's generosity. But as you said, we're not there yet. So keep those phone calls coming in. And uh, really, uh, it, it's it's something for our community. It's something uh, certainly for the John family. But it's something, I think, for society as a whole to, to remember uh, what happened uh, back during that conflict that that wasn't politically very popular among a lot of people at this time, but you cannot forget the sacrifice. The memorial to be dedicated a week from today. Help us make it happen. Help us complete the job. 414-967-5417 or WTMJ Cares Radiothon for the Lance Sijon Memorial to uh, go up at Mitchell International Airport again, the ceremony, a week from today. Hope you can make it to the event. It's at 1045. We'll tell you more about that and so much more as our WTMJ Cares Radiothon continues on 620 WTMJ. And I'm Jeff Wagner. You know, the interesting thing, the story of Lance Sijon is so very compelling. If, if you haven't heard it before, Bayview native, went to the Air Force Academy, volunteered to serve in Vietnam, um, shot down in a mission over Laos in November of 1967. They, they launched a rescue effort, came close to saving him. He was on his own. He evaded capture for 46 days. Can you imagine that? 46 days in, in, in the jungles. Um, ended up being captured. Apparently, according to the story, there were only 80 pounds. He's a 220-pound man, 80 pounds. He weighed 80 pounds when the Viet Cong captured him that Christmas day. He was captured Christmas Day of 1967. Um, He escaped before getting recaptured. He was tortured. He was beaten. Um, He ended up spending his final days at the infamous Hanoi Helton POW camp, he died in January of 1968. But this is this is this type of, of story of, of bravery, uh, of courage in the face of the enemy, of dedication to duty. These are the types of stories that, that you hear. Now, this is what an extreme one, but this is what you know the men and women who served our country, whether it's the greatest generation in you know, World War II, or the people who served in Korea, or the people who served in Vietnam, or our more recent veterans. This is what. This is the nature of the sacrifice. And, and so, yes, the, the memorial is for Lance Sijon, but the memorial is really for everybody who has served. And uh, if you were just listening to Gene's report, you, you could hear the phones ringing in the background, and that's that's just tremendous. Again, the number to call, 414-967-5417. Help us pay off this memorial. We'll be back with more of the program and with more of the Radiothon in just a couple minutes. 936, Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. In that description of Lance Sides, and I, I said he had been shot down. Actually, what happened is a uh, there was a fire in his plane. A bomb exploded prematurely, and he had to eject, um, but the results were, were the same. 46 days of avoiding capture, just absolutely amazing. All right, we'll check in with Gene in just a little bit. Uh, Donald Trump, details of his budget proposal are starting to emerge. And there's one detail, there's one provision that has surprised a number of people. Perhaps you work at a company that offers as a benefit paid family leave, paid family leave after the birth of of a child. There are a number of companies across the country that do this. It is not mandatory. Under the law, workers in the United States can take up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave 
after a birth, as long as they work at a company that employs at least 50 people um, for a year. So if you've worked at a company for a year, you can take you know unpaid leave of up to 12 weeks, um, either maternity leave or paternity leave. All right, that's the law. There is no federal law which requires employers to offer you paid maternity or paternity leave. Like I say, um, a large number of companies, they estimate that more than half of American companies already offer some form of benefit. Maternity leave is more common than paternity leave, but they estimate that about 58% um, replace at least some wages during maternity leave, and that 12% cover some leave for dads. But it's not mandatory. In Donald Trump's latest budget proposal, under the law, the proposal would be that any worker, and again, I would assume they haven't said whether this is just going to be for the biggest companies. I would assume you'd have to have more than 50 employees, but they haven't done that. Any worker who would qualify would be entitled to six weeks. This would be both mothers and fathers would be entitled to six weeks of paid leave after the birth or adoption of a child. The program is expected to cost employers about $25 billion a year and would benefit about 1.3 million people. Now, you might say, okay, how, how would this be run? And at least the way I understand the proposal, and the details are still emerging, it would be run through the, the states. States would be required to run their own programs, and it would be run probably through, like, the unemployment compensation system. Employers, presumably, would have to pay into a fund, and then that fund would then be used to pay for the maternity or paternity leave. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The cost, like I say... $25 billion a year that you would end up putting on the backs of employers who presumably would have to figure out where the money's coming from. My guess is in many cases they would pass it on to consumers. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I think maternity leave and to a lesser extent paternity leave is an outstanding benefit. I think it's great that companies make the decision to offer this, and I think they should be encouraged to do it. But, and this is a huge but, I do not think it is the role of the federal government to mandate that employers should have to offer this benefit. I don't think it should be mandatory, and I don't know where employers are going to come up with $25 billion to pay for this. If maternity leave or paternity leave, paid maternity leave or paid paternity leave is important, well, then maybe what you need to do is find a company that offers that. But I think this is an unreasonable burden to put on the backs of employers by mandating it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is something that Democrats have been pushing for for the longest time. Republicans trying to be pro-business have said, look, this, this is a massive tax increase on businesses and we just don't think it's appropriate to do it let us tee this up should the united states require employers to offer six weeks of paid maternity and paternity leave and i'm not arguing whether it's a good thing or not 
I'm arguing whether it should be mandatory. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 941. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 945. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. As part of the Donald Trump budget, he is proposing mandatory paid maternity and paternity leave for all companies, presumably with more than 50 or so employees. Right now, you're entitled to 12 weeks of unpaid leave. This would cost 25, B as in billion dollars, to employers. Mary in West Bend. Mary, you're first. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi, Mary. What do you think? Um, I am totally for this. My husband and I actually just had a baby last August, and he works for the company of Harley-Davidson, and there only salaried people are allowed paid time off mm-hmm. for paternity. And my husband is hourly and has worked there for almost 18 years and was unpaid. Mm-hmm. And I just strongly disagree with that. He's a great employee there, and... I don't agree with what they're doing, and I think it would be great for everybody to get that opportunity to have paid time off. Well, I, I see. I don't disagree with you, Mary, about the basic concept. If you'd say it, it's great for everybody to get paid time off, but for example, in your case, you know, I mean, Harley's going to have to come up with that money somewhere. They, they estimate this would cost employers twenty-five billion dollars. They're going to have to get that money somewhere. Does that mean they're going to have to lay off people? I guess. That that's the the issue. It's not is it a good thing. It's is it fair to force companies to do this? Okay. All right. No, thank, okay. Thank, right. No, right. I mean, see, no. I, I look. I look. Believe me. I I understand. I mean, if you're in a situation like you're in, Mary, I I get it exactly. This this would be a super thing. We we'd love to have it. It'd be great if my husband could you know stay home and help with childcare for six weeks. And by the way, I don't think that's. I mean, I, I understand. There's all sorts of arguments you could make why that would be tremendous. But the the flip side is that dough has to come from somewhere. I mean, it's just not. You don't just shake a money tree and say, all right, you know, here's here's where this twenty five billion dollars is going to come from. It comes from employers who are going to have to pay into it like they have to pay into an employment fund. And that's that's where the detail is. It's not necessarily, is, is it a good thing? It's, is this something that could be affordable? And if you're going to impose a new $25 billion tax on employee, on, on employers, okay, is this the most desirable benefit? What about... I mean, there's lots of other people that would probably say, hey, you know, if we're going to be imposing this sort of tax, what what happens to us who, you know, we, we don't have children or we're not going to have children? You know, why should why should this be the mandatory benefit? Eric in Sheboygan. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I got a different story about how the funds for this are going to originate. Um, I heard it was, you know, going to be like an unemployment fund, which you just yep. um, stated. Okay, but I also heard that um, Trump's part of this proposal, which I'm calling an unfunded federal mandate to the states, is the states are actually going to have to adjust their budgets to help cover for it. Sure. That, yep. which, right. Which I, I don't know if maybe you said all that before I... Yeah. But it, but it's ultimately it's going to be like unemployment comp. Unemployment comp yeah. is paid for by the employers. I mean that yes. you know they they pay into a fund. I fully I fully understand that my wife does unemployment compensation for a small company in, right. in this area. Um, when I say small, I mean it's the largest employer. Well, but let's talk about the basic employer. premise. Is this a good? I mean, obviously, look, everybody would love to have this, and I don't argue about the, oh, the merits. But is is this the premise? Yeah, the premise is great. Um, it would be wonderful if you could do it, 
But the problem I see with it is it's an overstep of the federal government mm-hmm. trying to put an unfunded mandate to the states right? and ultimately to the employers, which you know in this economy is going to come out of eventually the consumer yeah, you know, because we're going to be paying more for goods and services to compensate for this increased tax. Well, no, e- exactly. No, thanks. For, and look, and, and I mean, right now, um, the, on a state basis, my understanding is California, Rhode Island, and New Jersey have this at, as a, a mandatory benefit in the state, um, and it's financed through uh, again temporary disability insurance programs, which might be a way of looking at. I, look, I'm not going to argue that paid maternity leave or paid paternity leave is a bad thing. I think it is a wonderful benefit if you're fortunate enough to work for a company that offers that. But you are exactly right. This is, it is an unfunded mandate, whether, you know, it's the money's going to ultimately come from the state. But at the end of the day, it's going to come from the employers who are going to be paying into this one way or the other. It sounds good. It's something the left has wanted for years and years, but they couldn't get it until they had a Republican president. Go figure. It's 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. As we've been telling you all morning, we're right in the middle of our WTMJ Cares Radiothon. Let's go down the hall, talk to Gene Miller. Gene, good morning. Jeff, good morning, and it is indeed a good morning. These phones have not stopped ringing uh, ringing since we started at uh, 8.30 this morning. The number to call, though, because we want them to keep ringing, 414-967-5417. That's 414-967-5417. Lance Sijon's sister Janine is with me here. Um, I've never done one of these before. I don't know if you ever have. I didn't know what to expect. This is a lot of fun. Well, it's it's pretty energizing, I can tell you that. And and the phone calls that are coming in, it's so wonderful for me to be able to connect personally and hear these individuals. Um, I've I've heard everything from Susan, who also lost a, a brother in Vietnam, and this moved her to make this contribution in memory of her brother, um, uh, the granddaughter of a man who had served in World War II. She still felt the call to support those who have served and given the ultimate. So it's just a beautiful thing for me to be able to hear and talk to people directly and I, I encourage people to call and I really look forward to talking to them. It is uh, I think uh, yeah, cathartic for people in some cases to talk about this, to share this story or uh, if they live through that era to uh, share it with others and, and talk about it. Every call is appreciated from a buck to whatever and we got one of those whatever calls not too long ago. Tell them about it. Well, uh, Lynn called and um, spoke with somebody behind me at the um, at the uh, the phone bank, and I caught the amount. I couldn't help but hear that five thousand dollar ring through the the studio, and I just immediately got up and I said, "I I need to thank her." So, Lynn. I, it's um, it's it's pretty overwhelming to know that somebody has moved um, so to support us in such a way that that moves us up the scale so quickly. Again, every single contribution all has tremendous value. Um, it, it's some of those though that that really stand out, and I couldn't help but mention that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing stuff. Again, the number to call is 414-967-5417. We can take checks. We can take your plastic. Uh, we can also uh, text you, uh, have you text the word GIVE to us if you're in the car right now at uh, 414-799-1620. Text that word GIVE to us, and we will send you this phone number so you can get through to the phone bank. And uh, that way, if you don't have pen or paper on right now to write that down, uh, you can do it when you get to home, work, office, or wherever you are headed today. This mission to get this memorial 
Memorial done has been an almost a decades-long quest for you, Janine. The fact that it's a week away from being dedicated, is that sunk in yet? I mean, it, you know, I know you're getting about, what, two hours of sleep a night. Well, yeah, I've given up uh, sleep and, uh, <laughs> for about two years now, but it's well worth it. And so the, the nine-year journey, I'm, I'm turning that last corner right now into this final week, and when I can be intentional enough and um, in the moment, present, it's 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 almost too much for me to to believe because it it has been such a, a long uh, process to get here. But when I began to get so much support from so many wonderful people in the in the Milwaukee area, we love <laughs> Milwaukee and Wisconsin. They're very generous, supportive individuals. So once that began, it it created this energy that moved us forward quicker than I could have ever imagined. And as you always say, when we raise up one, we raise them all. We certainly do. And each time I'm hearing from somebody that is connected because of someone that has served or they have served, uh, that's a testament to that statement. Janine, I'll let you get back to the phones. I know a lot of people want to talk to you. I'm anxious to do that. Thanks, Gene. Thank you. 414-967-5417. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors for WTMJ Cares for this mission, that being Flag Center, Dave Drakamp Heating and Cooling, and the Packing House. Again, operators are standing by we're more than anxious to take your phone calls it has been fantastic and uh, as i said at the start of this break i didn't know what to expect i've done a lot of things in radio i've never done a uh, radiothon especially with uh, something that has my name on it and uh, milwaukee you're coming through big time for us southeast wisconsin everybody thank you so much we'll be here for a while so give us a call 414-967-5417 and we would love to talk to you our wtmj cares radiothon continues on 620 wtmj Thank you, Gene. This is Jeff Wagner. We'll check back with you in just a little bit. Coming up in just a couple minutes, a baseball player suspended for a homophobic remark. Was the penalty too great? And what's going to be the effect of not being able to take your laptops on international flights? We will discuss it all. It's ten oh eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. One of the great, one of the great sports movies I think of all time is a, a League of Their Own, and Tom Hanks playing. It's of course the story of um, ladies women's baseball league in World War during World War Two when the guys are all overseas. It stars Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell. It, it's just a great movie, and Tom Hanks plays some sort of grizzled manager, and he's got one of these great lines where he he's yelling at one of the players who's made a mistake, and he's going okay, and she starts crying. He says, "There's no crying in baseball." Baseball. Well, apparently there's no cursing in baseball either. Here is the story. The guy, he's an outfielder. His name is Kevin Pillar for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, the Blue Jays are playing a game against Atlanta on Wednesday night. And Atlanta is kicking the cheese out of Toronto. It, it's one of those things. Toronto had lost a couple games, and, and they're losing this game. So that's kind of the background. Um, Pilar is is batting in the seventh inning. And when I when I use the phrase quick pitch, I don't know if you know what that means, but uh, it, it, typically in, in baseball, the pitcher will get ready, the batter will get ready, and you know they're, they're both ready, and then the pitcher throws the ball. It's sort of the way it, it operates. Um, Pilar, who's the outfielder for the Blue Jays, he is um, he's facing a Atlanta Braves pitcher named Jason Mott, 
And he believe, he ends up striking out, but he believes Mott has done what's called quick pitching him. He believes that Mott threw the ball before he was ready, so he swings and he misses it. He's frustrated. They're losing the game. He thinks he's been quick pitched, which is... Uh, I mean, it's uh, technically, I mean, it's up to the, I mean, the umpire is the one that governs this. If the umpire, you know, if there's time that's out or the umpire thinks it's something like that, the umpire would handle this. But but the guy thinks he's been quick pitched, which is, I guess, maybe a, a violation of sort of the unwritten rules or whatever. But you can see this uh, on the video. As as Mott throws the ball, he's uh, Pilar swings, he misses it. And he mouths one word which is directed at the, the pitcher. And it is a six-letter word that starts with F, which is a homophobic slur. That's that's what he says. Six-letter word starts with an F. And, and you can read. I mean, if you read his lips, he says that. You know, And he's, he, I, I don't think he believes. I, I have no idea what the sexuality is of the pitcher. He's just upset. He thinks he's been quick-pitched. And so he says that. Well, this is, of course, you know, caught on, on on tape. You know, you can go and you can watch the video and you can see him mouthing this word. He it's not picked up on by by microphones, but he, he probably said this. And so then you have this huge bet, you know, benches end up clearing, um, but not because he said the word. They end up clearing because they think the guy was quick pitched and that type of stuff. But it, it's it's frustration. And he mouths and he says this this one word. Um this goes, of course, viral, the, the replays of this, and Major League Baseball has now come in, and they have suspended this player, Pilar, two games for using this word, for mouthing this one word. He has now been suspended for two games. You know, after, you know, after this happens, he says it was immature, it was stupid, it was uncalled for. It, it's part of the game. I'm just a competitive guy. And it was in the heat of of the moment. Um, so, I mean, I think he acknowledges that he he did it. But, you know, he says, look, this is, this is just the heat of the moment. It's something I said because I was frustrated and I because I, I think this guy, you know, did, did what he did. So I just, I said it. Now, there's lots of other, I think there's probably lots of other things he could have said or yelled at the pitcher, which would have arguably been as bad, if not worse, that probably gets said on a baseball field on a daily basis that would not result in a two-game suspension. But because this was a quote-unquote homophobic slur, he's been suspended for two games. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did Major League Baseball overreact by suspending him? Is this political correctness run amok, or is this the new standard? If you curse at somebody, if you say something that is unflattering, if you say something about somebody's mother now, are you also going to be suspended? Or is this a particular, if you say something about somebody's wife, if you say something about somebody's dog, are you now going to be suspended? Or are we carving out a particular area when it comes, in this case, to um, the, homos, the, the homophobic slur? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did Major League Baseball overreact? I'll tell you where I come down on this. But I'm curious, especially for those of you who are fans of this game or you know, any professional game, 
if players in the heat of battle now say something arguably inappropriate, is that something that they should be suspended for? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1014, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Major League Baseball is investigating this incident. The Blue Jays, once they found out that Major League Baseball was investigating, it was the team that suspended the guy for two days for using two games for using the, the homophobic slur that starts with an F. Um, I'm just wondering, is this appropriate? Is this an overreaction? And does this set this new standard that, you know, uh, is, is it going to be, is it only homophobic terms that are going to get you suspended? You know, what if you say something about somebody's wife? Is that going to get you suspended? What if you call somebody a butthead? Is that going to get you suspended? What if you use an obscenity? Is now, that now going to get you suspended? Is is that what the standard is? Steve in Oak Creek. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Well, I, I think it's kind of backward. Uh, you know, here we are, and it's, it's no big deal to use profanity or God's name in vain, but you use a slur like this, and it's really such a, a relatively small segment of our population, but we protect this segment pretty well, and n- now it's a major crime. And I'm thinking, man, that's all backward. Well, I mean, it, it, it is it is a slur. Thanks for calling. I mean, it is it, it is a, it is I think offensive. I don't think, I, I don't think it was. <laughs> I, I, for example, I don't think that the the pitcher. I don't know what his sexual orientation is, but I, I don't. I don't know whether he is. Or I, I don't think that's it. It was just like you know he, he did use it in an offensive fashion, and I, and I get that. But I now I admit I've never played professional baseball, but my guess is that there's all sorts of nasty things that players say to one another on a regular basis on on the field. Obscenities, other words, lots of other words that are probably used that you you can't say on the radio or you can't say on TV and that you wouldn't say in polite society. So I'm just wondering if this is now is this now the standard that anything other than ju- just golly gee or oh gosh well, then you're, you know, otherwise, you know, it, it's just off limits. Now, on our text line, Jeff makes a point. He writes in, he said he should count his blessings. I realize he's a baseball player and more or less is able to live by different standards, but most people would have much worse consequences if they used a gay slur at their job. And I guess, yes, I bring this up not necessarily to defend, certainly not to defend the player who said this, but to wonder what the standards are now moving forward. Is this the new thing? For example, if you're going to discipline somebody for saying this, does this mean that any sort of inappropriate use of language or obscenity or whatever would justify getting you suspended as well? There's been a couple other cases where players in different sports have been suspended for using this language. In one case, it was directed at a referee in basketball. Well, okay, I I understand if you're saying that to a referee – that is perhaps a little bit different. I don't care one way or the other whether this guy gets suspended. I'm just wondering what exactly is the rule moving forward, and if we really got into a stage where in professional sports now anything other than gosh and darn is going to be the remark that gets you suspended because if you're going to protect this group and say this gets you a suspension, why? Well, I guess that means you've got to protect all sorts of other groups as well, Right. It's nine. It's ten twenty. What? When we come back, we're going to find out how the radiothon is going. I know it's a huge, huge success. We'll get the latest update from Gene Miller. Stick around. Ten twenty one. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. It's ten twenty. 
24, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our WTMJ Cares Radiothon to raise money for the Lance Sijon Memorial. Gene Miller, how's it going? It is going fantastic, but we still need help at 414-967-5417. All donations are welcome as we uh, raise money to complete work on the Lance Sijon Memorial to be dedicated a week from today. Thanks to our sponsors, as always, Flag Center, Dave Drake Camp Heating and Cooling, and the Packing House. Team of volunteers here manning the phone banks here at Radio City, among them Patty Pritchard-Thompson. Good morning, Patty. Good morning, Gene. Tell me your involvement, your connection with the uh, Team Sijon activities. My connection with Team Saijan is that I'm good friends with Janine. We've known each other for many years. We went to the same high school, not at the same time, and we're also neighbors. And it is definitely my honor to be able to serve with her as part of Team Saijan as we work on this project together to, to raise funds for the, the Lance Saijan Memorial Plaza. It's going so well, and it is so beautiful. Can you believe it's only a week away? I can't. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody gets invited to come and visit with us as well. It's going to be a, a great day. Uh, the, the ceremony starts at 1045. Parking lots open at 830, so get there early and get on over to us. And that's just it, too. It's a community event. Everyone's invited. Absolutely. Everybody's invited. We want you to come and see how this dedication comes together. This is 10 years' worth of work, and it's going to be in a beautiful culmination. We have wonderful speakers and guests. Uh, I think everybody's going to be very excited about what they get to see. You say parking lots plural how are we going to get everybody there so you can park in super saver lot b thank you to the airport for providing that for us uh you'll be able just to go there it's on about sixth and edgerton kind of near the amtrak station and we'll be running shuttles all morning long all we need now is the weather gods to cooperate and everything else will be good to go well thankfully i do have a direct connection with mother nature and she has promised me that uh, we will be just fine what have you been hearing on the phones this morning wonderful stories from people who really appreciate the attention that the vietnam vets are getting i had one uh, wonderful woman call in and say they do not get the attention they need and we want to support that so to be able to hear all these wonderful stories and people who are genuinely touched by what we're trying to accomplish um, this honors not just lance this honors all of the veterans that are there, especially our Vietnam vets. It's their time. And a lot of Bayview pride here, too. Oh, gosh, yes. You know, Lance and Janine and their whole family grew up, you know, in the, the, the sh near the shores of uh, Lake Michigan at South Shore Park. And it, these are people that we've known our whole entire lives. This is a name that, as a, a Bayview High School graduate, I saw every single day uh, with the Lance P. Sijon Memorial Award that was given to outstanding students. Um, my brother, fortunately, was one of those recipients. And to know that the character that he brought to the table, the leadership and the talent that he brought, it really made a difference and a huge impact of what we as Bayview High School Red Cats were supposed to do. And so his legacy started with me at a young age, and I, I'm still feeling that power today. Patty, thank you so much for everything you've done for uh, Team Side John, and we'll see you Friday. Absolutely. You're welcome, and uh, it's been my honor. Thank you very much. Uh, Radiothon continues. We're going to take it to 11 o'clock, 414-967-5417. If you would like to uh, donate, we will certainly take your calls. 414-967-5417. Hear that? I'm not hearing phones ringing. Can we make uh, that? Can we fix that? 414-967-5417. Give us a call right now, and uh, we will take uh, your check. We have an address for you to mail that to. We'll take your plastic, and we will thank you from the bottoms of our hearts for making this uh, wonderful opportunity, this uh, memorial to Lance Saijon, a true American hero, Medal of Honor recipient, and all Vietnam veterans, because when we raise up one, we raise them all. The Radiothon continues here on 620 WTMJ. Thanks, Gene. Well, like I say, we'll continue that till about 11 o'clock or so, so another chance to donate 
And uh, if you're out and about in your car and you're going, they're saying that number too fast. If you've got our number, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you've got that in your speed dial, um, what you can do is uh, you can just text us the word GIVE, and we'll be glad to send you the number. So let's get us over the finish line and um, another 30 minutes or so for the Radiothon. Just another wonderful you know, wonderful cause as part of our WTMJ Cares project. He's back in the news in a way that you, you just, you never want to see your name in a headline that involves your name and the phrase pleading guilty to resolve sexting inquiry. You just, you don't want to see your name associated with that. Um, you want to talk about somebody who had a bright potential political career who just ended up crashing and burning i don't know if there is any any more dramatic example of that than former new york congressman anthony weiner weiner of course is the former new york congressman married to huma aberdeen who was the the close advisor to hillary clinton and um Anthony Weiner, there's an outstanding documentary. It's actually it's one of the best documentaries I've seen in years that, that focused on his effort after he was forced to resign in disgrace from Congress. He decided he wanted to run for the mayor of New York. This is the race that uh, de Blasio ultimately won. He came in almost dead last, in part because of some scandals that erupted during the course of the campaign. He also has been involved in some scandals that erupted during the course of the Clinton campaign. It's just almost mind-blowing that somebody could do this. I will tell you all about the Anthony Weiner saga in just a couple minutes. It's 1036, 620 WTMJ. Anthony Weiner was a up-and-coming congressman from New York. He represented Queens and Brooklyn. Um, A lot of people, and the guy... He, he was one of these, he is, one of these sort of aggressive New Yorkers, gift of gab, um, very much in your face, but also um, very, very liberal and very, very popular in his, his district. A lot of people thought this guy was, at, was going places. A lot of people thought he was going to be the next governor of the state. A lot of people thought he was um, Senate material. And, of course, everybody like that looks themselves in the mirror and they think, I could be the next president. Well, it all kind of crashed and burned for Anthony Weiner in June of 2011. You might remember this was after explicit pictures um, that, that he had texted out of his junk became public. And uh, initially he said his his account, his Twitter account and all had been hacked. And eventually he admitted that uh, now nah, he had really done it. And he had sent the image and had a, inappropriate online exchanges with at least six other women. He ended up resigning from Congress kind of kind of in disgrace. Well, all right. He was also married to Huma Aberdeen, who is, of course, Hillary Clinton's closest aide and longtime friend and advisor and things like that. All right. So he resigns in 2011. He stays with his wife, has a kid. In 2013, he runs for mayor of New York. This is after Bloomberg was stepping down, so it's an open seat. And um, there is a fascinating documentary uh, about this. It's called Wiener, and I I, I encourage you to watch it because you you see – you see the bra- bravado that, that he has. You, you really get kind of an idea as to, you know, who this guy is all about, you know, like, love him or not. And, you know, he, he's very much in your face. And during at least the early he, – he also agreed to allow a documentary to be done. And 
why you would do this, especially given what's going on, is sort of beyond me. But but so he, he's got this documentary because obviously his ego is such that he loves this. And he's actually making at least a little uh, some inroads, you know, into New York and New Yorkers that, you know, New Yorkers, a lot of them, they don't care the fact that the guy's a pervert. You know, they just care the fact that, OK, we, we like the things he's saying. So he, he's starting to do OK. But then it comes out that he is back on the Twitter sending out explicit messages and having these explicit conversations with various people, including one who is. Well, a, a young woman who just um, she, she's trying to make it in like the soft core porn industry and he's he's sending texts back and forth to her. Oops. All right. So. All right. That ends his career. At least that ends his political career. But he's still making appearance. He's on Bill Maher. He's on all these different things. So I mean, he's still trying to become rele- relevant. Well, that all kind of falls apart um, last August where it comes out that he is continuing to to sext. You know, after all of this. And then, of course, he's apparently using using a computer that Huma Abedin, his wife, who is the, one of the principal advisors to Hillary Clinton, has access to. Well, bottom line is, despite this huge, huge background with the guy, um, it now comes out that the latest round of texting, he was apparently sending explicit messages and suggestive texts to a 15-year-old girl in North Carolina, to which you can only just shake your head and go, just, just wow. Anyhow, he's back in the news today. Um, the Anthony Weiner saga, saga coming to an end. He's apparently agreed to plead guilty to um, you know one count of transferring obscene material to a minor. Um, he'll be looking at up to ten years in prison. But my guess is he's not going to get any time. But here you have somebody. If you want to understand that the depths of these addictions or mental illness or whatever this is, here's somebody that really had the world by the tail. Who very really realistically could have been you know the governor of new york or a senator from new york or maybe the sky was the limit just all brought down by his various weaknesses um anthony weiner going to be pleading guilty he will become a registered sex offender and could go to prison man how the mighty have fallen all right coming up in just a couple minutes New proposals by the United States would ban laptops on European flights. Is it unnecessary? We discuss. It's 1040. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1044. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, yeah, continue with the uh, the radiothon here. Uh, let's see. He worked in the Green Bay Packers front office under Ron Wolf, Mike Sherman, and Ted Thompson. Now Andrew Brandt is diving into what makes Ted tick. Greg Matzik hears from the former football executive at 635 on Sports Central. All right. Um, a couple months ago, the United States uh, announced that um, it would establish a ban on in-flight laptops and other large electronics for U.S.-bound flights from 10 airports in eight countries in the Middle East and Africa. Okay, so the concern was they're afraid that look, one of the things that they're f- afraid of is that terrorists are developing the capability to put bombs essentially in electronic devices that you bring onto airports and that they're figuring out ways to avoid detection. Um, the idea being 
that you know nowadays a lot of times they, they might ask you to start your laptop well they're they're afraid that they're developing this technology which allows people to start the laptop and you still can't tell whether there's a bomb there so from a variety of airports the rule is you can't do it the US is apparently now considering banning laptops and tablets from the cabins of transatlantic flights um essentially you know anything coming from Europe the rule would be no laptops. Now, it doesn't necessarily prevent a terrorist from sneaking a bomb onto the plane because uh, some people would say, okay, well, if you have to check your laptop, you just, you know, you put it in the hold of the plane. If it's a bomb, it's still a bomb. But what security officials say is it's tougher to detonate something like that um, if, if it has to be something that's done remotely. It, it's not a perfect solution, but there's enough of a concern to do this. Well, all right, there's some groups that are just absolutely outraged on this. The International Air Transport Association says that this ban is going to cost more than $1 billion annually, in not in not in dollars and cents, but in lost time to passengers. The idea that people are used to working on their flights from London to New York for whatever and using their laptops, and if you took that away, it would hurt their productivity. You know, that's the argument that gets made. The other argument that gets made is this would create a huge logistical problem because there are a number of companies that have policies that say that you're not supposed to check your laptops. So the idea is what would people do, not take their laptops? All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it unreasonable to ban laptops on these uh, transatlantic flights? And I I have to tell you, I've been thinking about this since it came out, and, and the truth of the matter is... If there is a legitimate security concern that you're going to have, that we don't have the ability to identify at this point in time whether or not somebody has, for example, a tablet or a computer, laptop computer, that can be turned into a bomb, well, then if there's a realistic concern that this type of technology is out there and we cannot detect it, well, I I guess... I think it's something that you have to strongly consider. Would it be an inconvenience? Yes, but is it really any more of an inconvenience than saying that you can't use cell phones on the plane? Chris and Slinger. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I've actually already had to deal with this. Okay. I flew from Doha, Qatar, back to Chicago uh, just about a month ago. Okay. And I had to hand over my computer, and it was really nerve-wracking. And I actually I took the hard drive out of it because I just couldn't couldn't handle it. putting it under the plane there's lots of stuff on it and i just right um so the process was easy but i just i think it's a little crazy like all of a sudden we're gonna pile hundreds of lithium-ion batteries into the cargo holds of planes which mm-hmm. i don't think are exactly you know are you cons- anyway. i mean if I guess, what do you think the solution, though, is? Let, let us assume for the sake of argument that the, the intelligence does say that this is what the bad guys are doing, that they developed this capability to put bombs that are essentially undetectable in these computers. How, do, how, how should authorities respond? Well, I, I'm not sure. If they're undetectable, is it really going to make a difference if they're in the cargo hold and someone can just then use their cell phone to remotely ping it off or something? Well, I think that's – I mean, thanks for – that, that's a fair question. Now, what, what the security people – and look, believe me, I don't 
claim to be an expert in setting off bombs on airplanes. The security people say that it's a lot tougher to do that because, again, you'd have to you, you'd have to have some remote sort of transmitter that does that, and they believe that it's going to make it e- that it would be easier to detect those types of things if if you did. I, I don't know, but that's what the concern is. There's some pilots who say, to your point, you know that, that maybe it even creates a more dangerous situation if you do have all the batteries that are there. Charles in Manitowoc. Charles, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I just had to deal with it also. It includes cameras and other electronics. Uh, right. It's really not that big a deal for, wasn't for me, but it was certainly a big deal for the airline when we left uh, Dubai because they had a ton of people trying to check all of this right. all of these electronics that people had forgotten about right right so but from the standpoint of, of working or whatnot it's not the end of the world yeah I guess I look is it an inconvenience yes I, I think I think it is something that people will adapt to. And I guess to me, the fundamental question is, all right, is this something that's necessary? Is there really this technology that's out there that we are afraid that somebody is going to be able to do this? If that is a realistic concern, well, the inconvenience of having to check your laptop, to, to me, seems minor. I do acknowledge that there's some lost productivity. I guess the, the real question and where the real emphasis should be, and this troubles me, that we, we don't have ways yet of detecting whether or not there's a bomb in a in a cell in a you know in a tablet because if there's a bomb in a tablet I do agree with our first caller if there's a bomb in a tablet or in a laptop I I, I don't want it in the cabin of the plane, but I also I don't want it in the storage area of the plane. Just saying. It's 1051. We'll make one final check-in with Gene Miller at the Radiothon. That's coming up. Stick around. It's 1054. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's go over to Gene Miller at our Radiothon. Gene, good morning once again. Great news, Jeff Wagner. Our Radiothon today exceeded expectations. I think everybody here is very happy. When we started, we were standing uh, at 16000 $935. Through the generosity of your listening audience, Jeff, and all of WTMJ today, folks out there kicked in another $15,390. Uh, bigger minds than mine were able to do the math on that, and I am told that our total is $32,325. And you can hear in the background the phones are still ringing. I'm here with Lance Sidejohn's sister, Janine. How you feeling, kid? What a day. Oh, <laughs> I'm bad, telling huh? you, this is so, so wonderful. It's been so Wonderful to be able to talk to people directly, and and I'm I'm asking them what what moved you to call and what inspires you to call, and so many personal stories that people have a connection, and I love making those connections because it's a small world, and and we really have gone through so many life experiences that are very similar, and so I appreciate it. Well, the tens of thousands of Wisconsinites alone that served in the war, not mentioning those who uh, made the ultimate sacrifice, including your brother. I mean, that's such a ripple effect. And then people who maybe aren't blood relatives but had friends or neighbors down the street or, or knew somebody that knew somebody that served and maybe unfortunately came home uh, not the same person. Either they were uh, uh, scarred physically or they, they suffered mental trauma, PTSD, whatever the case may be. This war has had lingering effects 50 years
years beyond, and then some. It absolutely did, and I think oftentimes you need a time of healing. Uh, that that was not probably our greatest moment, is, is the end of the Vietnam War, and we certainly didn't um, surround those who returned with enough love that they should have received. And so there's been a healing from that uh, this this last 50 years, and so I uh, I feel very grateful to be able to have this kind of a personal connection with, of course, my brother Lance, and to extend that gratitude uh, in in all who had served. So this takes care of the memorial in terms of debt service, anything else. This is bought and paid for now, and when you dedicate it next Friday, a week from today, it's free, clear, and ready to rock. I'm going to sleep well tonight, <laughs> that's for sure. I can tell you that. That was the mission. Tell people about the dedication ceremony because we want folks to come next Friday, 1045. Well, that dedication is going to be spectacular, and it's a it's a public um, dedication, so we welcome all, and we want Milwaukee to show our love to so many who are coming, who are veterans, who have served, uh, families of those who have served. We have some very special guests that are coming that are actually returning prisoners of war from the Hanoi Hilton, the Wallow prison in Vietnam that were there when Lance was there. And so they're flying in from all over the country and we really want to show them a beautiful Milwaukee welcome. There will be parking, there will be shuttles, it will be a truly impressive ceremony, a great way to kick off the Memorial Day weekend and a fantastic topping on this great effort, a decades-long effort on your behalf and all of Team Sai John to uh, make this memorial happen. Congratulations, Janine. Thank you so very much, Gene, and to WTMJ and so many who have made this possible. Forever grateful. Thank you very much, Janine. We will let you uh, go back to the phones and talk to some folks, I'm sure, that want to talk to you. And uh, thanks to you, Jeff Wagner, for being so generous sharing your show with us today on 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ CARES effort brought to you by Flag Center Dave Trey Camp Heating and Cooling, the Packing House. Thanks to all of you out there who contributed, no matter how big or small, every single penny is deeply appreciated. We invite you to come to the ceremony next week, Friday morning, 1045 at Mitchell International, the Howell Avenue entrance, the main entrance to the airport. Hope to see you there. Thank you, Jeff, and uh, thanks for making our radio th uh, radio thought a success here on 620 WTMJ. Job well done, Gene. Uh, job well done. Um, you are very welcome. I have been... I, I've been doing a radio show on WTMJ for going on 20 years now. Um, we did a couple months from now. We will start the, the 20th season of, of the show. I have always been. I, I can I can remember a lot of the different events that we've we've done. I remember perhaps right, right after the Miller Park crane collapse, um, we ha we did fundraising efforts to help some of the victims, the family members of the victims, and, and starting with that through all the different events over the decades. I, I've just been. I continue to be blown away and absolutely amazed at the generosity of of you, you know, who, who listen to us on a daily basis. And this is just another one of those examples, a very, very worthwhile cause. Thank you very much for your generosity. Our goal was $30,000. we have exceeded that by a few thousand. I'm sure there's still some more calls coming in. And I know the uh, GoFundMe page is still up, so other opportunities. Believe me that there's uh, – I, I know that there's – there's a documentary that's in the works. Um, there's, there's plenty of stuff to do with the money. So if you feel compelled to give, please continue to do that. When we come back, he's not going to be charged for pulling her hair. All right. Did the DA get it right? Stick around. It's 1059. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.08, Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. 25 minutes or so, week in review. Uh, Susie Fox off this week, so Tracy Johnson joins me. We'll talk about some of the big issues of the day. 
um, including some of the latest stuff with President Trump. Actually, it's been pretty much of a, as far as scandals go, it's been pretty much of a Trump-free show today. A lot of controversy. I think the impeachment stuff is starting to sort of simmer down as well. It, it should, because at least at this point in time, no basis for for impeaching the, the president. And it, it's as a as a practical matter, unless there is some smoking gun that, that comes up in an investigation, it, it's not going to happen with a Republican Congress. I guess the question would become that if. If President Trump's conduct, if there's something that's out there that convinces people to lose faith in him, will that have a spillover? You've got midterm elections that are coming up in November of next year, what, 16 months from now or so. And historically, the party in power has not done well. So I guess the question would become, if you're looking, if you're if you're into the conspiracy theory type of thing and you're really pushing for impeachment, I guess the question would become if Republicans lose enough seats in the November midterm, the November 2018 midterms, and that the Democrats control the House and the Senate, could that in fact lead to impeachment? Well, okay, maybe. The problem that the Democrats have is that they are defending, I, off the top of my head, I want to say that they're defending 25 seats and the Republicans are defending eight in the Senate. Um, a number of Democrats who were elected in sort of a wave election back in 2012 when Barack Obama won re-election, they're now up for re-election. So the Democrats are playing defense in many respects, just a lot more seats that they have to defend, which makes it tougher to try to figure out, okay, you got to keep all of yours, and you have to try to figure out how to pick up a couple races. So at least from the perspective of the Senate, the electoral map does not favor the Democrats. And as I always say, it's it's just, it's way too early to tell. I, I understand that there's some people out there that think that President Trump is vulnerable and... I'll, I'll be one that have said that I think he's been his own worst enemy with regard to some of the things that have happened. But the truth of the matter is, if you're trying to say, gee, I mean, this is unpopular now or that's unpopular now, you, you never know how that is going to play, you know, a couple years down the line. I keep remembering the example of Ronald Reagan. And in, in Reagan's first term, he was, his, some of his policies, his economic policies, extremely unpopular. His, his approval rating was low, perhaps not as low as President Trump's is right now, but you know he he went on to just cruise to re-election. So it's weeks or eternities when it comes to politics, much less months, much less a year and a half. So I think it's tough to make those predictions. But today appears to be a quiet day. He's on his diplomacy tour. Um, I understand that. I think the Comey stuff is starting to die down at this point in time. And candidly, I think the appointment of Robert Mueller as a special counsel, very, very good step. He's very, very well respected. I think and I hope that he undertakes this investigation um, aggressively. And if there's some there there, that's fine. And if there's no there there, I, I hope he closes the investigation. I The problem when you have special prosecutors or special counsel, and they're really synonymous, what, what happens is if an investigation goes on for years and years and years, it, it becomes a drag on, on the country. It becomes a distraction. So I, I hope that Mr. Mueller is aggressive in going after this. And if he determines that there's evidence of criminal activity, fine. If he determines there's nothing there, hope he ends up dropping that as well. All right. I saw this story on uh, channel on, on WISN, Channel 12. I, maybe it's been elsewhere, but I, I saw it there. 
there's a Milwaukee public school teacher's aide who was referred to the district attorney's office for something that he did with regard to a seven-year-old girl. I mean, here, here's apparently what happened. This goes back to to April. And there's a seven-year-old girl who has long hair. In the video, it looks to me like it's in braids, but has long hair. According to, I guess, the story is the teacher's aide was trying to get the seven-year-old girl to go to the school office. She was refusing to go. So what he does is he reaches out and he grabs her by the hair and starts leading her by the hair out of the library and presumably to the office. This incident is caught on school surveillance cameras. It, it doesn't, it, he didn't beat her. She's not injured. He's just, he, he's leading her by the hair. And his story is, hey, she, she was refusing to go. He says, hey, I, I learned this technique from my mother. He said, I, I think it's a form of like Tai Chi, and I think it's a peaceful method of self-defense. Yeah, I, I grabbed her. She was resisting. She wasn't coming. I said, yes, you are. And he grabs her by the hair, and he starts to, and he, he leads her. Um, she does not appear injured. I'm, I've seen the video. She's just, you know, kind of being dragged along by, by the hair. This video surfaces. The mother of the child is absolutely outraged. Um, the district attorney takes a look at this and says, well, we don't think there's a basis for criminal charges. Um, the mother apparently, you know, wants um, battery charges brought against him. The attorney says this is a blatant disregard for the girl's rights to be free from being a victim of battery. The mom says, I want to know why he's not being charged with anything. You see him look over his shoulder, then he grabs her by his hair, and he pulls her from the second floor to the elevator and then to the main office. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's no question, teacher's aide, apparently seven. it's a seven-year-old kid, Seven-year-old, let us assume for the sake of argument that he had to take her to the office and she was refusing to go. So he just grabs her by the hair and leads her. All right, is this a crime? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 1115. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, the seven-year-old that was being taken to the the office in this incident in April, she'd been kicked out of a classroom for being disruptive. She apparently refuses to go, so the teacher's aide grabs her by the hair and sort of leads her. And I've been looking at the video. Um, no serious injuries. The mother says the daughter was humiliated. Well, she probably was humiliated um, and suffered a bit of a sore scalp as a result of the incident. The district attorney's office says no criminal charges because there's no intent to injure. The teacher's aide, at least as far as I can tell, has been suspended without pay. No decision as to whether he is going to lose his job. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Good morning. Hey, hi, Jeff. Hi, uh, thanks for taking the call. Sure. I just wanted to relate for you. I'm 60 years old now, so I'm a lot of, I'm, you know, have my best years. But I used to live up in Anigo, Wisconsin, and I was like a eighth or a ninth grader in a great big, in a high school big study hall, maybe 120 kids in the study hall. And I was sitting near the back of the, of the study hall. And I was getting kind of mouthy to the study hall teacher. I mean, not real bad, but kind of mouthy. And she told me a couple times, go to the office. And stuff. 
and I wouldn't cooperate with her. And I, back in the 70s, I had the ponytail thing going. She dragged me out of the study <laughs> hall by my ponytail all the way to the office. And you know what? To this day, I still say she was right and I was wrong. Because you were being disruptive and you wouldn't go. That's exactly right. Now, granted, I wasn't seven, right. and that was 1971, 72-ish. You know, as compared to today. Yeah. But, you know, things have changed a lot. I think if kids can't respect teachers, I also, by the way, I taught for the 20 years, so I got a little prejudice there. No, I, if, I, no I understand. See, there's no, there's no, I've told this story before. I had a seventh grade teacher, the late Sam Stanley, Riverview, Riverview Elementary School, Riverview Middle School. He used to throw, wait, this is back in the day of chalkboards. He used to throw erasers at people. He, he was a math teacher. I've taught, it, 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 if you were like not paying attention in class or talking or whatever, he would take these, these erasers, you know, and they, they were chalky erasers and he'd throw them at you. And, you know, he'd hit you. I, he never threw one at me, but, you know, he hit people and chalk would go flying and it, it wouldn't hurt anybody, but get their attention. Can you imagine doing that nowadays? So, I mean, I, yeah, it, I mean, times, I guess times have changed. Now, I, I will say this. This mother and her attorney, they're, you know, they're on TV. They're just outraged about this. You had apparently, you know, one of the disruptive groups shows up at the school board, you know, complaining about this and other sort of issues. Um, at the same time, th- this only becomes an issue because the seven-year-old was disruptive and apparently refused to leave class and refused to follow instructions. Does that give the te- Does that give the aide, though, a right to actually lay hands on her. Now, she wasn't hurt. She wasn't hit. Maybe she has a sore scalp. I Okay, but she's going to get over that. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Shane in Milwaukee. Shane, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, you know, this is an easy subject. You know, this is going to set precedent. You know, times have changed. We have to keep up with, with the times. So what do you do with a child who refuses to listen to authorities in the, in the situation. Right. Do you put a straitjacket on this child and you know, to keep him from spitting and biting? and well, Or do you, just, do, you, do you just let him stay in the classroom and continue to disrupt? Yeah, I mean, right. you know, what, right. what is that fair to the other 20 the other kids. kids that are in the classroom? Right, yeah. right. You, you, know, uh, you know, that discussion has to be made, too. You know, I, then, you know, why for, for, for the uh, mother, why didn't her child listen? Does does she have uh, some type of uh, disability or dysfunction where she can't pay mm-hmm. attention or listen to authority and make a cognizant decision mm-hmm. to do the right thing? I mean, you know, what what do we do? Well, that that is an it. I was actually thinking about that, and that is also an interesting indicator of how times have changed, Shane. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but when <laughs> if I if I was you know seven or eight years old and I was disruptive in school and I refused to follow instructions and I refused to leave the classroom, and my parents got the call saying, "Hey, the teacher's aide, you know, grabbed you by the shoulder or grabbed you by the ear and then <laughs> tugged you out," um, right. I will tell you, my mom and dad would not be upset with the teacher's aide. My mom mom and dad no, would be no. upset with well, yeah. what are you doing creating so a disruption home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, exactly. exactly no so i mean i guess i i, I look i i think i understand the, the rule is uh, you, you you can't lay hands on people but at the same time how are 
how are you supposed to and maintain discipline if, in fact, and I, I don't know what the, all the circumstances were here, but let's assume for the sake of argument that you have a child that's decided that they are not going to follow instructions, that they are going to be disruptive. Do you have to allow that child to to run the asylum, in other words? you know, Do you have to delay everything while that child refuses to follow instructions? Again, I'm, I'm talking to generalities. I don't know the specific thing that led up to this, but... But it is interesting to me that it's the teacher's aide that's the, the bad guy. It's not like he pushed her downstairs or anything. He, he did try to get a hold of her, and he did physically escort her out. 414-799-1620, Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, good morning. Good morning. Um, a couple of things. First of all, if you have a disruptive kid, you generally don't just send them to the office. So they're going to walk down the hall by themselves, go into the office and say, I'm here because I was bad. That really doesn't happen. You usually have to have some someone, right? Like the teacher, which is which, like the teacher's aide, you know, right, who was in the classroom. Awesome. Okay, right. Right. So to get them down there, um, you know, if she pulls the hair, you know, she's in trouble. If she pulls the arm, she's in trouble. She's in trouble no matter what. So what we do in our school is you have, um, you either call for the psychologist, you call for the assistant principal, the principal. We have someone who deals with behavior. You call them. They come and they deal with it. It's As a teacher, I'm not taking that chance that I'm going to get into trouble because you're not allowed to touch anybody. And as a 7-year-old, she should disruptive that she has to leave the class. My goodness, we have a serious problem. Um, with the with your seven year with the teacher with the kid that's that disruptive. See, yeah. I get this is see this, this is the this is the problem that we've had with this rule that under no circumstances can you touch kids. And don't misunderstand, I, I'm not arguing that you should be able to beat a child or anything like that. But but if if you have a child that is so disruptive that it's gotten to this point, and I understand what you're talking about, you call the psychologist or whatever. So then you sit around for thirty minutes. Nobody learns while you try to negotiate with an out of control seven year old. It's it's in some respects it's nuts. My bet is that she this is not the first time, uh, and that things have happened before, and um, yeah. That yeah. would be my bet. No, I, I think, and again, I, and I, I mean, I don't know all the extreme stuff. I guess I will tell you this, and this is this is just my old school approach. I, I look at this video, and again, let us assume for the sake of argument that that the 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 child was in fact disruptive. The child did refuse instructions. The child did refuse to accompany the aid. So under all those circumstances, I mean. What strikes me, and I, I, you can never put hands on the kids and stuff like that. I don't think what the aide did, I certainly don't think it's a crime. There's no intent to hurt. But you know what? I don't even think it's necessarily that unreasonable. Part of the problem is, you know, we've taken any ability at all to discipline away from teachers, away from the teacher's aides. I understand that it's a fine line when you end up doing this. But, I mean, my underlying thing when I see this video is what was going on with the kid that the child, you know, refused to follow instructions and if i were the parent i gotta tell you i think i would probably be more outraged at my kid for failing to follow instructions and creating this disruption than i was at the teacher's aide who had had a hold of the hair and was saying okay now you're you're coming with me it is eleven thirty-five. jeff wagner 620 wtmj 
Eric Thames, Eric Sogard. It doesn't matter. The Brewers sit alone atop the NL Central, and Craig Council and David Cerns deserve a lot of credit for the success. Greg Matzik explains why tonight on Sports Central at 6.07. Isn't that the truth? Um, the last two years, essentially by the end of April, the Brewers had played themselves out of contention. That's just the reality. And, and, and you, yes, it's fun. It's a rebuilding effort. You hope they turn it around. But at the same time, it's no fun to watch losing baseball. This year, six games over 500 in first place. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily think that's going to continue through the balance of the year, but this team is playing really good baseball. They had a great series in San Diego, and uh, now they've got a three-game series with the Chicago Cubs. Now, if they pick up one of the three games, that means it's a winning road trip. Um, two of the three games, outstanding. And weather permitting, I'm looking at the radar, there, there's showers and stuff over Chicago, but the game is supposed to be this afternoon. Haven't heard anything suggesting that it is not going to happen. So you can hear it here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. But what you can hear right now is the Week in Review. I'm joined by Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors, our partner in crime, Susie Falk. She's off making money or something today. Oh, or spending money. I forgot. Or sp- it, was, it was one of those, and I appreciate you. You're just right off an airplane as well. Yeah, straight out of the, straight out of D.C. I would also be remiss if I did not mention that in addition to broadcasting this on the radio, we live stream this Facebook Live. We've turned on the big lights here. Um, so you can go to Facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ, and you can watch the two of us as we go about our business. All right. First story for the Week in Review. Tracy, will President Trump complete his term? Let's not bury the lead. Is, <laughs> is he going to finish the four-year term? I think he will. My my, my short answer is yes. The, the, the long answer is, boy, I, I think we could have seen this one coming. I mean, the media is almost, I think, oper- operating on a, on a different level in their frenzy over trying to figure out how to, how to unseat and distract this country from the matters that are are really important and you know i've heard people say well he's going to try to you know figure out a way to, to to get out and appear that he he's a winner and all of this but you know I, I think you see him trying to you know he's meeting with foreign dignitaries he's taking his first uh, overseas visit i i think i i think at some point we're going to get this comey stuff behind us and we're going to move on tax reform seems to be a big deal in Washington, and I, I think we're going to get a couple of wins here. You just used the, the phrase, um, it seems the media out out to get him. And, you know, oh, what he descri- so obvious. Well, what, what he described as a, a witch hunt, he thinks that, you know, he's a, a politician that had more negativity than any politician in history, which would be news to Richard Nixon or to mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Um, the phrase witch hunt, let me ask you this, isn't I I think there's no question that the media has not cut him any sort of breaks. At the same time, though, are a lot of these things self-inflicted, a lot of these wounds? I think they are, but when I guess going back to that comment about the media being in this frenzy, I, I, I think it's because there's so much media, and they're all trying to pick these different angles and analyze these different things. And yes, it's self-inflicted, I think, in, in a way, because Trump has decided to use Twitter as his own media platform, and now all we can do really is react, and he's made himself inaccessible inaccessible to a lot of the media um, in trying to get get to the bottom of things and, and they, they're seen as, as almost the enemy and I actually think this is the way that it's going to be going forward just because of the, the, the unrest that it's caused in, in our country and the, the us versus them mentality and it, it's unfortunate but 
Um, I, I don't think that unseating him or impeaching him or having him leave the office is, is the way that's going to move our country forward. And at some point, we're going to grow up and, and realize that. Does there, and I mean, I don't, I don't, as I was saying just a couple minutes ago, I don't think impeachment is, right now you've got the Republicans to control both the House and the Senate. And unless there's something dramatic that comes out of some investigation, impeachment just isn't going to occur. Now, if the Republicans lose control of the, of the sure. Congress in 2018, that might be a different dynamic. Is there a point, is there something that could happen which would cause Republican office holders to decide, we just can't go along with this guy anymore and start jumping ship en masse? Well, I... Well, and I think you do have those people already there. And I will say one takeaway, and, and I mentioned we were just there. In D.C. In D.C., and meeting with legislators, they seem very focused, especially Republican legislators, on getting an agenda passed. And they're not saying, they're not making excuses about President Trump. They're saying, we need to get tax reform figured out. And they realize that it's it's up to them to figure it out within Congress. And, and I really see that, and, and that is their job. And I think they're very focused on it. I think they're going to, 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 to work to do that. Because at the end of the day, that that's their job, right? And um, I think... Ryan has played his cards very safely with the president. I think he's kept his distance appropriate. And I think he's doing it in a way to pass an agenda. So I I think uh, when you talk to the average voter, and we are not the average voter. We are very tuned in and we're dialed into the politics Mm -hmm. of all this. But the average voter is so distracted by this um, and they they Mm -hmm. just want results. Was it was was. Was the decision to appoint Robert Mueller as special counsel, which is essentially the equivalent of special prosecutor, was that a good move? Yeah, I think they needed to do it quickly, and it showed that they had they had some plans in place. I think it was a good move, um, and I think the faster that they can get to the bottom of this, and you're already seeing statements come out that they're trying to get, you know, that they're debunking a lot of this fake news and this these unsubstantiated rumors. I think the better. Do you think this leads to anything? Do Do you think at the end of the day they're going to find collusion between the Russian government and the Trump campaign with regard to the election? I don't think they're going to find collusion. I just don't think. And they, they are certainly doing everything they can, but it's still just a, a, a web of, of rumors and these facts that they're trying to connect the dots. I just don't think they're going to find it. And I, I wish they would get back to the business of running the country. Do you agree with me that the Russians were trying to monkey in our election, with our elections? I don't, I, I don't think they were. I mean, you I, don't? I yeah. think, I think be, they were. Be careful when you fall off that turnip truck there, kiddo, to make sure you duck your shoulder. I, I mean, It's not, you know, I, it, well, and the only reason is I, am, I was very focused during this election on the just general interference in the Hillary Clinton emails. Right. I was, it was just, it's very distracting, and I guess I haven't really narrowed in um, on that. I think knowing the consequences of being uncovered, I can't imagine why Trump would ever go along with that. Oh, well, I'm not saying Trump would went along. I mean, I, guess, I see, I think there's two questions. I, I think the one oh, question is, right, I, you know, what was Russia trying to mess around in our election? And I, I think I think They're messing the around with is, everything. Well, right. Let's, I mean, okay, I, so. I think they. I mean, I think you know, if you look at the hacking of the Hillary Clinton emails and things like that, I think ultimately that's going to be traced to to Russian influence. You know, whether Russian operatives or people with Russia's blessing. That that's not to say that it was the Trump campaign. Sure. That and I, I think there, there's two different things. Now, I also think that it is a big deal if you've got foreign governments that are trying to mess with our elections, and 
that's something that I do hope gets investigated, and we identify that and figure out ways to stop it before it happens again. Well, and that's it, when when you ask that question, it it almost could be asked along with questions of were they trying to get into Hillary Clinton's server, or were they trying to uh, mess with our our commerce systems, or were mm-hmm. they trying to? So yeah, I, I mean, Russia is Russia is trying to figure the U.S. out and trying to screw with every single thing that that we have going. Which then, see, I led you down this path, which then does raise the question. Why is President Trump sharing confidential information with Russian uh, exec with the Russian ambassador that apparently they, we haven't been sharing with Great Britain? Was that a mistake? Uh, well, I, I have to confess <laughs> I'm not com- completely familiar, but I believe with exactly what you're talking about. But I do believe that Trump's opinion and his stance on keeping your friends close and your enemies closer is one that is is a is a business strategy and he has not been shy about saying that he's a businessman and that he's trying to do that i i couldn't believe that he would be so overt about it though and i'm not sitting here defending all his actions i'm really trying to play a little bit of a devil's advocate you you say you know you say business strategy another phrase might be loose cannon (laughs) and it would you know and and i do agree with you i think that the the media is out to get him but at the same time i think a lot of these problems are are in fact self-inflicted all right speaking of self-inflicted problems uh david clark announces on the radio that he's leaving Milwaukee, which is apparently news to the people that are supposed to be making these announcements. And now over the last 48 hours, a huge firestorm is developing. We're going to talk about that next. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. I'm with Tracy Johnson. It is the Week in Review. It's 1145. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Week in Review. I'm here with Tracy Johnson, Commercial Association of Realtors. Oh, yeah, I didn't. I asked you the question that I think he was going to last four years, and yeah. I didn't give my answer. I think it's 50 50. I really do. I, I, I'm not necessarily talking about impeachment, but I could, at some point in time, I could just see him. See, I, I try to personalize all this stuff, and I think if I had more money than God, and I was 70, whatever it would be, three or yeah. four years old, and you're just. the I understand wanting to be a fighter. I think at some point in time you might just say, "Okay, I've I've done all I can do. I've accomplished all this yeah, stuff. Now it's I'm like going to go list item, for right, them, right? Exactly. And now the now president. I'm going to go hang out on the beach. <laughs> now I, I understand that that might sound odd, but I I think it's fifty fifty. And by the way, where you can bet in London, where you can bet on anything, oh. it's about um, they're they're taking money on this, and more people are betting that he doesn't last four years than are betting that he does. Oh. See, huh. and I've heard similar controversies with Reagan. Sure. So I, I, I sure. would like to compare the notes on that. Yeah, we'll I, that it, like I say, 50-50. I'm not predicting. Okay. All right. All right. David Clark, Milwaukee County Sheriff, uh, appointed to Milwaukee the job in 2002. He announces on a radio station this week that he's he's leaving to take a post with Homeland Security that does not require Senate confirmation. There, There's already a controversy because... The way these appointments are supposed to be announced is that the director of Homeland Security announces uh-huh. it, and they were kind of surprised. As a matter of fact, they have not announced it, it yet, so I understand there's a little bit of controversy. I talked to Governor Walker yesterday. What happens is the sheriff sends in a letter of resignation, and then that starts the whole process of filling the seat. The governor's office, at least as of yesterday, had not gotten a letter oh, of resignation. Okay. So, um, But presumably this is going to happen. Is David Clark a good choice for a job with Homeland Security? Well, when you when you dig a little deeper, and I hadn't heard of the position before, it's like a liaison to right. the other officers and law enforcement. And set aside how law enforcement feels about him in Milwaukee, because I think that's been a little bit 
uh, it's kind of unknown because he kind of had one foot in the camp of I'm sheriff of Milwaukee and one foot in the camp of how do I, you know, get into the Trump administration right. for a long time. So I think that's a little bit cloudy. But to, to say, do we need somebody in this role who is a little bit of a politician, who has a reputation for being tough on crime? And let's be honest, somebody who can carry forth the, the orders and the wishes of the, of the administration, which, of course, are controversial in terms of ICE and deportation and immigration. So, you know, I think I think in, in this role of liaison, I think it it could be good. I think he, he might have to check some of his comments a little bit and mm-hmm. maybe. Um, you know, realize that he's not in this political, this highly politicized position, but he needs to have these relationships with these local officers because he he's done that in the past and he was reelected multiple times in in this area and he he does have a good reputation for for doing a good job. The um, depending on who you talk to, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> the, I, I do I think I think he's going to hate this job. I mean, I, there's there's a, an opinion piece in the Washington Post today written by the woman who used to have this job. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and her conclusion is he's completely unqualified because what you have to do is you, you have to have a personality. You really are the, the liaison, and you have to – you're working with governors, and you're working with local officials, and you're trying to work in a sort of cooperative experience, you know, in, environment to deal with stuff Ooh, as opposed to this <laughs> – as opposed to write this kind of authoritarian yeah. top-down stuff. I, I, if that's really the job – I think he's going to hate it because I, I think I think he's used to, for better or worse, taking the kind of my way or the highway yeah. approach, and you're going to have to uh, adapt to that. All right, he has been the sheriff since 2002. Um, give give a letter grade to the tenure of uh, David Clark. Well, I think the first probably decade or so, he's probably good, going to get very high marks, A or, or B. I mean, and when you think about the, the statistics, and I, I, he, he was reelected multiple times. As a Democrat, As right? A Democrat. In a Democratic primary where they threw everything they had to try to stop him. Well, yeah. And not only that, but there were multiple candidates that were run against him who were who were very well funded. Right. And so, you know, it, it again speaks to the mindset of people like a little bit of tough talk. Yeah. Um, I think in the last couple of years, though, I think the, the, the media and the Certainty, and, and I think he's probably not paid as close attention uh, as he needed to. And I think he lost some of the favor of, of the officers. And you need those officers to be with you. And the, 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 yeah, I, I would break it down too. I mean, I, I think for the first ten years or so, I, I'd say an A. Um, I, I think probably a C minus for the last few years. I think he got frustrated. I think he got tired of dealing with the county board. I think he got tired of the job, and I think that uh, that played out. So, I mean, I, I see two David Clarks, and the legacy is going to be conflicted. All right, um, before we take a break, uh, this Tim Allen show. The, oh, the, I like the, that show. The last man's day. Well, yeah. I mean, okay, doing well in the ratings, yeah. growing in the ratings, ABC cancels it. Tim Allen, one of the few outspoken conservatives in politics in, in Hollywood, plays a conservative on the show. Um, ratings good. Did ABC cancel this because of politics? Well, in, I don't think they did. I truthfully think they made a business decision. And let's be honest, I don't know how the networks are surviving with these sitcoms in an age of Hulu, in an age of Netflix, which is where I watch the show, actually. Right. Um, they said they're not running comedy on Fridays, which I totally understand. Um, and they said that you know Tim Allen is a, is a big time celebrity. He requires a lot of money, and so do all the actors on the show. And I really want to politicize it and say that this is the only conservative leaning show on on the networks. But um, I I just don't think it was. And and here's the deal: I think it's going to be more successful when they take it to those other platforms. I just think. If they, you think that they continue viewership. it, I um I understand there's economic reasons behind the decision. At the same time, I have to tell you, I think if 
if Tim Allen was not the country, the, he's only controversial because he's a conservative. If he was not the conservative lightning rod and the numbers were the same, I bet you the show is still on the air. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got the Right Stuff Awards. Then we're going to be joined by Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt to find out what they have coming up on their abbreviated show. It's the Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson. We're live streaming on Facebook Live as well. It's 11.55. 11.57, Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson. Our Week in Review, the Right Stuff Awards. Ms. Johnson. All right. Well, lots of places to go with this this week, but I am going to give my uh, Right Stuff Award to an organization called uh, Rebuilding Together Greater Milwaukee. Uh, this week, actually today and tomorrow, they will be revitalizing and rebuilding the Clark Square neighborhood, which is a, a, a not a dilapidated neighborhood, but a neighborhood in need. Um, and what it is is it, uh, groups of companies and organizations get together and they focus on the homes in that neighborhood, the home owners have requested different projects be done, landscaping, painting, uh, and the business community uh, comes out and does it, and I'm participating tomorrow, and I, I love the before and after pictures, so I'm really excited about it, and Hopefully the weather will let you do it. It's supposed to it, be crummy. It's going to be crummy. <laughs> I got my raincoat. There you go. Okay, my winner, it's an easy one for me this week, WTMJ listeners, we did our Radiothon today as part of WTMJ Cares. Um, our goal was $30,000 to fund the remaining debt on the Lance Sajon Memorial. We blew the doors off of that, uh, raised more than $30,000. On behalf of all of us at WTMJ, thank you very much.